Good to see you all. Um, and uh, those of you who don't know me, um, Dave Holden from South East London. You can tell that by my accent. Thank you very much. And uh, it's wonderful to be here with you. It's great to be back at King's. Good to see those of you from Tweed Bank. We've heard a lot about you. All very good. Um, and uh, it is just a great opportunity to be together for Together for Scotland. So grateful when we put this on, another church turned up, otherwise it wouldn't have been much together. Um, and, to, and others from other churches as well. And who knows, this may be the beginning of something which uh, only God knows might kind of ignite something. I'm here today feeling uh, that this is not the end of something, but maybe it's the beginning of something. And uh, this sense of being together is just a wonderful thing. I trust the, throughout the day you'll be envisioned. I also pray that you'll be refreshed, um, as we already have been in the presence of God, and we'll leave here at the end of the day really feeling equipped and really feeling that our, our uh, horizons have been broadened in terms of the possibilities of what can do in the nation of Scotland, for whom we are together to see God do great things. And of course there's massive, we're just tiny, and there's just masses of things going across all of Scotland, some of which we kind of know because we hear news and Others perhaps um, don't know, this has been a big gathering of leaders just this week in Edinburgh from different churches coming together, which is fantastic. Uh, a week before last, there's this thing called Thy Kingdom Come throughout the whole of the UK. Over 3,000 churches covenanted to pray together for revival throughout the whole of the UK. And uh, God's doing something really wonderful behind the scenes and uh, getting us ready, I believe, for a tremendous thing. I mean, you hear those stories that uh, Luke didn't make up. He's actually reading them factually. And you just think, well, it, we're treading on the same ground. When I hear stories like that, things start to happen to me because I think we're walking the same streets. We're, I mean, Arthur's seat, I've been up there. You know, it's kind of like, it took a long time. but I get, <laughs> And it's kind of like, they must have run up or something. You know, it's just like there was nowhere else that they could meet. And this isn't just going to be history for us. I believe with all my heart these are the intentions of the Holy Spirit to do it again. Anybody vaguely? Amen. <laughs> so I want to do two sessions this morning if I can. I'm going to try and do this. Um, uh, we'll have a loop break in the middle and uh, divide the two up. And I've, so I've done my two parters. My first part is entitled Churches That Impact Communities. And by way of introduction to this, I would like to say that one of the things that I love about being part of an apostolic movement, in other words, my church is not isolated, it's part of a family of churches, just like you are. And one of the wonderful things for me has been the provocation over the years to remind me of the big picture. One of the things that apostolic ministry does or communities do, is it just stops you from being parochial. It stops you from being isolated. It reminds me that Christianity is not all about me and my little isolated world. And it reminds me that my local church is actually quite small in terms of it's part of a much bigger thing that God is doing throughout the earth. It reminds me constantly that it's not my calling to do my own little thing, me and Jesus, going to change the world. But he's actually placed me into a community, which in turn is part of a bigger community, which is the worldwide body of Christ, and that together... And so days like this are really important for some of us, 
Because it's, I totally get why when circumstances change and life gets a bit overwhelming, we come crowding in upon ourselves or crowding in upon the little church that we're a part of, thinking that this is just it, and it isn't. You know, one of the things that the early church heard through the anointing of the Spirit was Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the... It's the first strategic plan that was ever laid out. It's a pretty good one. Judea is going to be after Jerusalem. And then Samaria, those people you don't like, you're going to reach them as well. And then it's going to be the ends of the earth. Together for Scotland today is just the beginnings of the possibility of partnering together to actually affect a nation. It's big. What God has in store for you as an individual and you as a church community is probably much bigger than you can even begin to imagine. And as we've already heard today, this nation of Scotland has an amazing history, a heritage in terms of revival and the kind of things that God has done in this place down through the centuries. We also have a present reality, and that's that it's not like this. It's not like it was in the past. And we don't want to live in, in a cuckoo land. We want to actually realize this is the state of our nation right now. This is the tiny percent of people in our towns and villages and cities in Scotland that still really do believe, or maybe even have heard the gospel, that there's actually the vast majority of people who have no intention of coming to church, no interest whatsoever in, the, in, in Christianity. It's, it's irrelevant, it's past, it's something in a bygone era. And then to realise actually we have a part to play to see this nation change. Okay? That's my introduction, bit of the background. Um, I know that those who know me that know that, generally speaking, I'm a kind of pastorally kind of minded guy, I'm a bit cuddly, even grandfatherly these days in the way that I kind of... But today, I, I'm going to put that aside for a moment. There's still this angry young man that kind of is somewhere deep down inside. And today, I want us to provoke one another. I want us to be prophetic. I want us to have seeds sown in our hearts. So... Some of the stuff we're dealing with today, you might think, really? Is that relevant to where I am? Well, it may be one day. And maybe today could be the beginning of seeds sown in our hearts that one day, that we may be talking of things that right now you think, I'm not sure that's where I'm at or relevant to me. That's why we're talking about them, because one day it just may be. And so listen up, <laughs> because some of the things that are, we're going to say are totally relevant uh, to all of us. Church planting is possibly the greatest way to re-evangelize a nation. It really is. And even in the little world that I live in, we're beginning to see that, that we're working into nations and we're planting churches and we're realizing that going out and just standing on streets proclaiming the gospel, absolutely wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Everyone needs to hear. But at the end of the day, it's got to be kind of more than that. It's got to be about communities that are established. And so our goal is to see churches planted throughout the nation of Scotland, together in partnership with, with loads of other churches who feel a similar calling. We may just be able to get to play our part as well. But here's my burden, and it's this. It's not how many churches we get to plant so that we can all say, look, we've planted 50 churches. Isn't that fantastic? Tick all the boxes. It's not how many churches get planted or how quickly we plant them. It is what kind of church we plant. 
and the kind of church that has a long-term history or vision in store. Uh, I've seen church planting movements come and go. I've seen churches planted, but they're no longer there. I've seen a kind of urgency and a speed about doing things which kind of uh, burst onto the scene, but to be honest, today there's not a lot to see for all of that activity. I've become increasingly convinced it's not how many churches, but the kind of church that will really uh, make the difference. And churches planted that will really glorify Jesus the most are the kind of churches that impact their local communities. It's not a lot of point planting a church in a town in Scotland if no one in that town even knows that you're there. Surely we plant a church in a town that makes an impact upon that town. Surely the gospel isn't just for a few Christians, it's for all those who don't yet know Jesus. And so the plan is this, plant churches, but plant a kind of church. And the kind of church that really makes the difference is the church that impacts the community into which it's been established. I believe when you turn to the book of Acts, that's exactly the model that you see. It was a church planting engine. It was absolutely remarkable. The story of the, of the early churches that they planted churches throughout the whole Roman Empire, but those churches were known, and those churches made an impact. It was kind of like life wasn't quite the same in a lot of towns and cities once the gospel had come and the church had been established. Things really changed. Not everybody liked it. A lot of people did. But whatever was going on, the churches were the kind of churches that couldn't remain silent. They were not irrelevant. They were right at the forefront of everything going on and making an enormous difference. From Acts chapter 2 onwards, we see a community that are moving forward, planting churches and having an enormous impact everywhere they went. In fact, sometimes everyone was talking about Christianity, the church, about what we've been worshipping about, this name of Jesus being lifted high cannot be ignored. It has to be recognised. So let me give you some examples in Acts chapter 5. I love this passage of scripture. Verse 12, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them and the people held them in high esteem and nevertheless, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of, of both men and women, so that even, they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, and that Peter's, Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them, and the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. Do you think this church plant was noticed? Do you think anyone took note of what was going on in that particular place? And I love that little reference, you know, it was obvious that God was with them, and it was a bit fearful, so <clears throat> none of the people dared join them. I mean, can you imagine that? People dare not joining your church, because it's so scary, because God's there and everything. And then there's this kind of thing, but nevertheless, thousands were saved. I love it. It's kind of like, I can't, but I'm going to. It's coming something irresistible about a church community where God's presence is so manifest that actually signs and wonders, it's kind of normal Christianity. And people in the end are coming out on the streets. Can we get there too? Can, can we get a look in? This is a church community that makes an impact upon its wider community. Acts chapter 17. 
and uh, verse 5. Another story. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, (laughs) they formed a mob, set the city in uproar, attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, because they were looking for the apostles, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, look at this, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. I mean, the statement of the church is these men, reputation, wherever they go, they turn the world upside down. They've come here, and we really don't like it. And they're causing an uproar, and people are being affected by what's going on. We won't read it, but Acts chapter 19 is a classic example of what we're trying to say. You plant the church somewhere, and the end result is that everybody kind of knows about it because the local church impacts the community outside of it. So Acts 19 talks about this small little rabble of community. Paul wasn't even sure whether they're really saved, and he gets them saved, and they get filled with the Spirit, and then he kind of goes into the synagogue with them. They get rejected, so they come to this place called the Hall of Tyrannus, and they, they do loads of teaching, and people start to gather, and miracles are starting to happen. Um, and then it erupts into something like a little mini-revival. There's so many people that into the magic arts who all come to Jesus because he's being lifted high and exalted through this little community that had this enormous bonfire because everyone's repenting and they want to get rid of all their magic art books because they're now receiving the word of God. And then invested interests get, 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 get there as people who are selling little gods. No one wants to buy them anymore because they're all worshipping the living God, Jesus. And so they... They stir it all up. All our trade is now being fed. The economics of the town, the banks, everything's getting affected by this little group of of Christians who've come to town. And then there's this enormous riot, it says in chapter 19. And the chapter finishes with the whole city in uproar. And then it makes this, this statement, and all of Asia knew about Jesus and about the gospel. So they were a little group. They were smaller than the churches represented here today. And by the end of the chapter, it took about a couple of years, but by the end of the chapter, what had been small had now been the biggest talking point in the town. Do you get the point I'm trying to make? Church is not meant to be quiet. We're not meant to be hidden in the back streets. We're going to plant churches in Scotland that are make a, a, a huge impact upon our local communities. I would say this of the early church, of which we are still a part of in terms of same gospel, same kingdom, same Holy Spirit. They were loved and they were rejected. They were wonderfully received and at the same time opposed. They had sometimes great peace with all the people and they were persecuted. Whatever was going on, they were making an impact. What were the defining characteristics of churches that are declared in the Acts of the Apostles that were able to impact their communities? I believe there are six characteristics, and I want to just lay these before you. And our desire is, as we look at these six characteristics, and then go for a loo break, that you will come away thinking, I want to be in a church like that. I don't want to just go to buildings on Sunday mornings. I want to be in something that's impact. So what were the characteristics that we see from Scripture that actually were the characteristics that caused these churches that were planted to be churches that impact communities? Because I believe that's the only kind of church that Jesus is still building today. Number one, they understood that their foundations were apostolic 
and prophetic. That's actually a very, very biblical concept. You'll find that phrase repeated often in Scripture that churches are built on the apostles and prophets. Let me give you one example, which is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, talking of the house of God being established, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure of that church becomes a reality. You'll know that foundations are really, really important. Foundations are vital. We're going to look a little bit more about that in our second session. But just to mention here, at the root of these people, these churches that were established, they were a going people, they were a sent people, they were not static. They didn't just set up in town and say, right, we're here, that's it. They were here for purpose. And one of the things that they did was they weren't only here, but they were here to make a difference that would then result in more people from them going to other places to see the kingdom of God being extended. Their existence was to impact those beyond them, not just to care for those that they had. They pastored people, but in the context of mission. Now this is really, really important if we're going to make an impact upon the nation of Scotland. Which foundation is your church building on? Is it an apostolic and prophetic foundation which is all about movement and going and sending and making a difference? Or, and I know I'm massively generalising, but this is the non-grandfatherly bit of this morning. I know I'm generalising, but this. Or you're building on a pastoral foundation. And those two things are quite different. And I think this is a dilemma that many churches are facing in the day in which we live. We've got this massive 90% at least of, of the United Kingdom that we are supposed to reach that are unchurched. And yet many churches are spending most of their time looking after the few people that they've got. And essentially they're building on a pastoral foundation rather than an apostolic or prophetic foundation. And by and large, those people who love to build on a pastoral foundation or want to go to a church like that, is their understanding is that the church is full of people who see that the church exists to meet their needs. So this is a great church to go to because they will meet my needs. That is a church built on a pastoral foundation that you understand that church is there for you rather than to impact those that we do not yet know. You're there to meet my needs. Now when you're in a church like that, it's, net, it's, it's little wonder that you're, you're very slow in your mission or to make an impact upon those who are around you that don't yet know Jesus. In fact, building on a pastoral foundation can be very, very distracting to the calling of God that you really have. And one, you can see I'm speaking a bit out of experience here, and one of the things when you're building on a pastoral foundation is that you spend hours trying to meet the needs of all the Christians, and you never, ever satisfy everybody. There's always someone you forget to say hello to on a Sunday morning. They get so offended, they leave. There's always somebody that, you know, went to hospital and it's kind of like I didn't quite get there quick enough. And so they got upset. It, the mentality is that's why we exist and, and elders are there just to meet our needs. And, and they try their hardest, but they're bound to fail somewhere. I've, I've, I've realised over the years of being in a church, leading a church, it's essentially built on pastoral foundations. That's my testimony. That actually you never ever satisfy everybody. And you start to realise, is this what we're called to do? 
in the borders in, in Edinburgh just to look after all these people who do have needs, by the way, and do need pastoring. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but it's the context and the foundations that are massively key to the kind of church. Why does church exist? Who is it really for? Are huge questions that we need to keep on asking. And incidentally, when you're building a pastoral foundation, most pastors are exhausted, clapped out, probably will have to have lots of sabbaticals, and <laughs> will just go around feeling, I've had it. I've had two sabbaticals, so you know, don't despise it. Some of us need them. This is a massive fundamental issue. So my church, where we went through a 10-year period of turning the whole thing around from essentially a pastoral foundation to building on an apostolic prophetic foundation, we lost people. And we lost people because the church was no longer caring enough, no longer loving enough, no longer looking after our needs because the whole thing was turning around to be something and when you build an apostolic prophetic foundation, everything changes. The conversation changes that you have. It's not so much how did the meeting go, but did anyone respond to the gospel? How many unbelievers were there amongst us? Even our meetings change in the language that we use. We don't compromise on anything, but we're constantly trying to produce something which is relevant to people because we're here for them. So which is church for, the believers or the unbelievers? Both. That's the answer. Build a church that totally connects with both, whatever that kind of means. So for us, it's little things like we had, to, we had to teach people that when the elders are having endless conversations with you about your pastoral problems at the end of the meeting and they've got one eye on the door, it's because there's a visitor. There's someone who's come in that's not been here before and they want to get to them. We can talk the whole of eternity in heaven about your problem, but this person might be... <laughs> This person might be only here for the first time, and it might be the last time. In one of our venues on Sunday morning, I was chatting to the guy who's leading the venue, and I said, do you know who that guy is at the door? He said, no, no, no. I said, is this the first time? He said, yeah, I think he is. I said, what are you talking to me for? And he ran <laughs> after this guy and had a great conversation with him. See, so it's like even the elder's role changes because we're actually looking for the potential of people who don't yet know Jesus who can become part of our community. We love pastoring people. I'm sure you do. In our church, we emphasize the whole concept of one anothering and discipleship. We emphasize care and we counsel people. We run marriage courses and parenting courses. We run freedom in Christ. We have small groups. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Still people leave us because we're not caring or loving enough. I want to do all of those things. So you've got a problem, difficulty. You're going through difficulties. We don't despise this. Let's talk about it. But we're going to talk about it in the context of movement. We're going to talk about we're on a mission. We're on a mission. We're on a mission together. And do you know what? As we're talking about your problems and difficulties, there's a whole load of people out there. They're, they're just so way, way further away in their difficulties and problems than even you are now. To teach people that we're here for them. Number two, they made the impact upon their communities because they proclaimed a gospel authenticated by signs and wonders. And it was these signs and wonders that began to actually make an impact upon the localities in which they lived. Let me give an example in Acts chapter 8. The Jerusalem church has now been scattered. 
and the people that scattered went everywhere proclaiming the gospel. And in Acts 8 verse 4 it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw, so that's that, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many of them, and uh, many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in that city. And uh, I think there's a really interesting thing going on here, that they proclaimed the gospel. We must be churches that unapologetically proclaim, preach the gospel, the good news of the gospel. But the early church didn't just proclaim, they demonstrated. And they demonstrated by the way that they lived, but also by, accompanied by miracles, signs and wonders that were there. And I love this passage of scripture because my impression is, here comes Philip, he preaches the gospel, and they kind of half listen. Interesting point. Very interesting. We must go away and consider this. And then it says, and then they performed miracles, and it's kind of like, and then they really listened. It's kind of like they heard, but then they saw. Oh my goodness. People are being miraculously healed. People are being set free from all kinds of captivity. This isn't just a message. They had thousands of messages in those days. This is a real message that actually works and miracles are performed and lives are changed. When we proclaim the gospel and demonstrate the power of the gospel with signs and wonders, local communities will be enormously impacted. The Western world needs to hear the good news, but they also need to see it. The Western world needs to hear that Jesus is alive Here's the challenge. If you believe that Jesus is alive, I think most of you probably do. (laughs) Is that yes, most of them probably do. It's always fun doing these conferences because, you know, when you preach, sometimes I preach in lots of nations, so I kind of forget sometimes where I am. And then I remember when I'm in the UK because no one ever says very much. (laughs) This was Africa. Everybody, but thank you for reminding me that I'm in Scotland. When, when we proclaim the gospel, here's the challenge that for us in the Western world. We believe that Jesus is alive. Honestly, if you believe he's alive, you believe he can do the same things today as he did when he was in his body on earth. He's now alive, raised from the dead. The challenge to us constantly, for me personally, for all of us, is why don't we see more things happen? I think to be a Christian in the Western world today and say, where's the power? Where's the demonstration? Where, where, where's the authentication of the fact that you're alive? That's a very good question to ask. We need to keep asking and praying about it. One of the great challenges we face is we're proclaiming this Jesus is alive and somebody's going, well, where's the evidence? And I don't want us to water this down. Well, we're more sophisticated. We live in the 21st century. No, 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 no. If Jesus is alive, he does the same things today as he always did and always will. So Jesus, it's interesting, Jesus himself did signs. Why did he do miraculous signs? Because they were never an end in themselves. It's not about miracles. It's about the miracles pointing. That's what signs do. They point to something. And Jesus performed signs not because he was doing magic tricks, but because it was all about the one who just did the sign. The sign was pointing to him as the Messiah. Surely he must be the son of the living God. 
because only God can do these things. And the early church understood that, so they just carried on doing signs. Why did they do signs and miracles and wonders? Because it then convinced people that the Jesus that we're preaching about truly is the Son of God. Their message pointed to the authenticity of the Jesus that they were proclaiming about. And in Europe today, everywhere we go, we need to raise up churches that proclaim the gospel and see signs and wonders and miracles. We're going to impact our communities all over Scotland. We need to go not with our eloquence, but we need to go proclaiming the gospel everywhere, but believing that there will be great signs and miracles which will authenticate the gospel and point to Jesus. I think verse 8 is massively challenging. We're talking this morning about about churches that impact communities. Look at what it says in verse 8. And so there was great joy in the church. No, 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 no. And so there was great joy in that city. What an amazing statement. Why was there great joy in the city? Because these people knew these people that were in captivity. They knew these people who were sick. They were down the road. They lived in the same street. And there was great joy in that city because they thought life was always going to be like this. Nothing would ever change. And suddenly a message has come, a people have come, and the guys in my street are now healed. They're running up and down, and they've been set free. There was great... Do you know what, folks? I want to plant churches in cities and towns and villages where they say, and there was great joy in that city and town. This is a long way from a church that no one even knows who's there. This is that great joy in the city because the impact's been great. Number three... Third characteristic of a church that impacts communities. Number three, they knew the Holy Spirit had been primarily given for the purpose of mission or evangelism. They knew that the Holy Spirit had been given primarily. He's been given for many, many reasons. We all know this. But the primary reason he's been given is for mission. Acts 1.8, we all know it. When the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. This is about the church being empowered by the Holy Spirit, essentially so that we can be witnesses. Well, again, we're back to where we started. Witnesses to what? To everybody else. Church meetings were never meant to be the domain of Christians. They were always meant to be that this meeting where Christians gather is for the unbelievers as well. So the Holy Spirit, when I talk to people about this, they say, well, I'm not sure. I think the Holy Spirit may have been given to us as Christians just so that we can actually get to know the Father and get to know joy. And all those things are true. But if you stop there, you've missed the purpose of the coming upon of the Spirit. And I always say to people when I say, I think just look at Acts chapter 2, the first ever Christian meeting when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. Yeah, they did do the tongues bit, the fire bit on their heads. Sounds pretty cool. They did do the, ah, stuff. Probably. I mean, I wasn't there, but I guess it was pretty overwhelming. But what, what, let's just carry on the story. What happens next? Well, they were, they were frightened and they were locked away and now they're out on the streets. And now they're proclaiming the gospel and now they're not frightened and now they're sharing the good news of the kingdom. And here's the first ever meeting of the Christian community and 3,000 were added. There's a little hint as to why the Holy Spirit comes upon his people. It's not bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. It is bless me so that I might make an impact in my uni, in my workplace, in my family, in the community where we're planting churches. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need lots more of you, Holy Spirit. But it's not just to make me feel better about myself. It's so that I might be equipped, or we as a community might be equipped, 
to really go and make a massive impact upon our community. Again, this has become a big issue, I find, in lots of churches. You know, why is the Holy Spirit given? I mean, what's, what's he there for? It's a good question to ask. Sometimes you get into conversations with people and it's kind of like, we're really the kind of church that's on a mission. So we're really missional and everything we do is missional and we don't really have much time for all this Holy Spirit stuff. And then you go to another church and it's all Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. We're not that interested in mission, actually, because we're having such a great time. Of course, the answer is, how on earth can you do mission without the Holy Spirit? And how on earth can you be just receiving the Holy Spirit if it doesn't produce a sense of desire to go for mission? You put both of them together, and you've got the kind of church that's going to impact upon a community. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it's not to internalise things. It wasn't true of the early church. It should be true of us today. There is a river of anointing of the Spirit of God that flows. Some of you have lived through rivers of flowing Holy Spirit activity. I've probably lived through three, I would say, very intense times. When you're as old as me, you get to live through three of them as three intense periods of my life of a massive Holy Spirit activity. But never, ever was it intended to be an end in itself. And then what do you do as a Christian when you're not in an intense time of Holy Spirit activity? Do you just kind of sit around waiting for the next one? Surely all of it has been given so that we are empowered to make an impact upon those around us. I've watched and observed that often when there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Christians kind of make a monopoly of it. You know, there was one, there was one move of the Spirit a, a, a couple of years ago in a certain part of the UK, and it was genuinely an outpouring of the Holy Spirit for mission. But the word got out on the social media. Guess what happened? The coaches all turned up from all over the country. Who were they? Christians. What were they doing there? We want to receive a blessing. Where's the blessing now? We'll go over here to receive the blessing. And every time there's that pour of the Spirit, Christians feel this is our domain. It's our monopoly. And then you just, you know, and God TV will turn up. And, 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 and video everything so you don't even have to go there. You can see it from your front row. I told you I wasn't going to be grandfatherly. And you're going to, they're going to turn up and, they're going to, and they'll pay you a whole lot of bucks to get the revival, which is all full of Christians, on TV every night. And then the whole thing gets distracted. Some brave people will say, no, thank you. This is not here for us. This is here for the lost. The Holy Spirit being poured out is not the domain of a whole lot of Christians travelling around the UK trying to get blessed. It is given for mission that thousands of people don't know Jesus. We could even be prevent. This is serious stuff. Christians could even be blocking the very thing because the river of God, you notice in Scripture, always flows through and out into the nations. It's for the healing of the nations. It's for those who don't know Jesus. That's the primary reason. I'll say a lot more about that, but I won't. Number four, they knew the kingdom of God would be primarily demonstrated through the local church. This is how they began to make the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not the church. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus through the church and out into society. You can't separate the two things. Sometimes, sadly, that's what begins to happen. So you have the local church doing its thing, and you have all expressions of the kingdom who can't fit in the church, so they go out there and do their thing. And it causes a kind of bit of a confusion. 
And some of those kingdom expressions are really wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I think that sometimes they're doing it because the church isn't. But there has to be plan A, which is that the church of Jesus Christ is always the best vehicle for the kingdom of God to come and be expressed. So when people like the circles we move in go on and on about the local church, the local churches, the local church, they are right. Because at the end of the day, the kingdom of God will be manifest primarily through local communities who are established in towns and villages and cities in Scotland who will make an impact upon those areas because the kingdom of God will come through them. Good news is not just preached, but it needs to be experienced by people in those localities. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, verses that many of you know, constantly talking about Jesus saying to us, the church, what we'd be like, we will be the salt of the earth, you will be the light of the world. You'll be like a city upon a hill that cannot be hidden. These are expressions. I mean, again, city on a hill that cannot be hidden. There we go. Local churches that impact communities because you can't be hidden. You're there. You're seen. And then this whole way, this whole thing, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify God. The evangelical world has lost ground on this. If we're going to make an impact upon our communities, It's not just preaching the gospel to one person on a Sunday morning. We've got an unbeliever here. Come, let's really have a go. It's got to be that seven days a week we're somehow finding ways to express the kingdom of God in the wider community that is around us. We're not to be a ghetto. We're to be seen. There's to be light in the darkness. There's to be salt in the earth. There is the display of good deeds, the deeds that come out of being justified by faith, as a community, understand the gospel, and in view of God's mercy, we just have to express that mercy. Freely you have received. Freely give. It proves our authenticity. It proves that you're the real deal if you're a church. It doesn't just say words, but does things. The love of God in you compels you to reach the needs of people around you. Not to get them saved, though that may be your heart's desire, but just purely to meet their needs. That is an absolute authentic demonstration of the kingdom of God, which they understood in the early church, expressed through us as God's people today. We all know that social services, which are full of wonderful, wonderful people, are really creaking all over the UK. I don't quite know what it's like up here in Scotland, but where I live, it's just, it's just not working. It's falling apart. I don't, I don't preach, you know, well, there you go then. It's kind of like there's wonderful people there, but what an opportunity for the local church to impact their communities. Because we are a volunteer force. You know, one of the greatest needs of where I live, apparently, is loneliness and isolation. We've got a volunteer force that can go around, visit people, and do something about their loneliness and isolation, and provide community where there isn't any that's there. It's a massive subject, but if your church was to leave tomorrow, the town you're in, would anybody notice? Or would anybody, you can't leave? Why not? Because we can't keep going without you. I mean, what a goal to have as a local church that truly does impact the wider community. Demonstrating the love of God is something we need to do everywhere, especially to the poor. If you're going to go to Natalie's seminar this afternoon, you'll hear some tremendous things about what God is doing through churches like ours to reach 
out and to demonstrate to the poor. I think food banks is an amazing. I've heard the guy who started food, the first food bank, and he was exhausted, had 120 people or something to feed every day, and then God said to him, now start it all over the country. He's not a church leader, he's kind of like a normal guy in the queue, in the, in the, queue, in the, in the church, and he started to kind of get this burden, and he started it, and it took off, and now over 4,000 all over the country. And you know the wonderful thing about food banks is you're just meeting needs, meeting needs, meeting needs all over the place. That's a local church impacting its community. Do you know what also wonderful is? People are coming to Jesus as a result of being fed. Because who are you people? How much do you get paid to do this? Good questions. Why are you giving up your time demonstrating the love and the mercy of God? Most people think of you lot as happy clappy. Probably in the world. You go to one of those happy clappy. Well, you know, it's better to be happy clappy than dismal and bored and turned off. But surely there's got to come a day where they say, it's not just that you're happy clappy, you're meeting the needs of those around us. Number five, they believed the gospel was for everyone. A wonderful promise in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. They just believed this gospel was for everyone, whether you were poor or whether you were rich, whether you were religious or non-religious. It caused their communication to look radically different because it made a huge impact upon people because they believed that the gospel was for everyone. There's this wonderful passage, isn't there, in Ephesians chapter 2, many of you will know it, where it just talks about the gospel in verse 14, about the cross starts to claim that the cross breaks down dividing walls. Notice that. The cross, and he's talking about Jews and Gentiles who hated one another and who would, it, was, it was not allowed to even eat a meal in the same house or even go into one another's homes. And then the gospel came. And the dividing wall came down. And then all kinds of questions were started to raise. Well, if we're all the same and we're all now, our identity is who we are in Christ rather than I'm a Jew or Gentile, then surely we should start to come together and worship the same God and meet in our homes. And I don't know if you ever fully grasped this, but the, the New Testament church were ultra-radical. And whenever they forgot and they went back into Judaism or just stayed as Gentiles, there was a clarion call, come on, what are you doing? This gospel has brought down the dividing wall. We're one now in Christ. And a community that has a gospel for everyone will have huge diversity reconciled enemies are now one in Christ. Jews and Greek, rich and poor, slave and free, male and female, all together equal in Christ. What a demonstration that is to a world that is fragmenting and going past into, past into sec, sec, segregation that the church of Jesus Christ is saying, no, no, we're all one, we're all coming together. Our context today would be also marrieds and singles. And where I live, it will be black and white. And masses of language, first languages are not English. And all kinds of colours in between. Multiple nations, cultures, language. You have to interpret this where you come from. It may be different where you are. But you should surely be a reflection of the community where you are. There shouldn't be anyone in the community where you are that thinks, well, I'm not welcome there because they're all that type of person. They're all so middle class that as a working class, I can't possibly... Yes, you can, because we are all one in Christ Jesus. 
all ages. Not just one age, but all ages. Multi-diverse. We're living in a mixed-up, changing world. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it's coming. And so we need to express this gospel that hits everybody. I mean, all Christians know that in the end it's true, isn't it? Every tribe, we've been singing about every tribe, every tongue, every nation, will all be around the throne of God forever. And it's wonderful. But I always kind of think, well, it's a bit late then for most people on earth. If they could see every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every Sunday morning all together. See, every time that doesn't happen, it says the gospel doesn't really work. Because you have to segregate. So every time in London I drive past a, a, a black majority church, something inside of me just kind of just dies. I think, Lord, this cannot be right. Surely it cannot be right. We've got to come together. We've got to express this gospel. It's not easy. It's massively complex. But it's so important. Number six, the final way that they made an impact upon the community, and I've left this one deliberately till last, is that they just simply knew the cost. You can tick all five boxes so far, but here's another one. It's costly. It's going to cost us if we are going to plant churches that impact communities. If you want to just plant churches, they won't cost you so much. But if you're going to plant churches like this that impact communities, there will be some difficulties. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, there's this little verse there where Paul talks about himself and his struggles, but it's a kind of hint about what's going to happen. And if we plant churches in Scotland, we are definitely going to face weaknesses, insults. We're going to go through hardships. We're going to have persecutions. And I have no idea what calamities are. You know, Calamities for me, for me are like pouring wine over somebody in an evening meal or something. It's not a great calamity, but it happened to me last night. Um, <laughs> But calamities, it's kind of like, it's not just that. It's just something much bigger than that. I mean, perplexities that no one kind of understands. But I think the early church knew the cost. And so the impact that they made upon the... They embraced the cost of what it might be. And there will be a cost. There will be the cost of persecution. Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. That's not on many fridge doors that I visit or when I travel around. <laughs> Sorts of other nice, nice little thoughts and rainbows, but never that one. But it's true. In the world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. Oh, great. Let's sing a song. No one's ever written a song on that verse. In the world, we will have great trouble. Yeah. Just doesn't happen. And then he said, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. You plant churches that impact communities, you will have trouble, but don't be afraid, I'm with you. I've told you already that this would happen. We're living in a world at the moment, and by that I mean a kind of society in a Christian world, I think we've just got to wake up and face it. It doesn't matter how much we try to be acceptable. It doesn't matter how much we change the culture. It doesn't matter how much we allow the culture to change us so that we can be acceptable to the world in which we live, so we can communicate with them. They are still not going to accept us because of what we believe. Christianity is not a, a tolerant religion. It's 
So all the politicians say, well, we're a Christian country, and the great vir- number one virtue of Christianity is, is, is that we are tolerant. I say, have you ever, ever listened to Jesus, ever? <laughs> What's tolerant about, I am the only way? No man comes to the Father. And we believe that. So some of us are going to have to tell people that, and they're going to get ultra-offended. There'll be huge costs. We are going to be persecuted. We've got to wake up and realise it's probably going to happen in our lifetime. Then there's going to be the cost of time if we're going to do this kind of thing. You know, you're going to go plant a church and, oh dear, there's all these kind of non-Christians keep hanging around. <laughs> the cost of inconvenience, opening our homes, being abused by people because we thought they were going to come through, but all they wanted was our money. It's all part of being a community that impacts the wider community. I guess your church might be like mine, which is that we preach a a gospel of grace. And the gospel of grace includes, don't clean yourself up and then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, and he was the one who will clean you up. You happy with that? Guess Guess what happens then? You get a whole load of messed up still Christians in your church. The journey is not yet complete. It's very costly to have people around you that don't look like Christians <laughs> and, and, and don't behave. But that is the gospel of grace, and we've got to learn to embrace some people. You know, if, if there's a half-time break and there's a whole load of people out there for a fag because they can't last the meeting, is that, what does that say? Say, oh, you're a Christian. You shouldn't be smoking. It's kind of like it's there in the Bible. Thou shalt not smoke. It's there. <laughs> you see Christian communities going through all this awkward kind of, you know, we've got a Sunday evening meeting at 6 o'clock. It's kind of strange, the kind of people that are turning up, different sexual orientations. And it's kind of like, whoa, this is the church. Because we're kind of in a community that wants to impact the wider community. You can't preach grace and keep it all neat and tidy. It's going to be some real struggles along the way. The the cost of being misunderstood, the cost of injustice, the cost of fighting real battles. Let's stand. Going to have a five-minute loo break. Okay, seven. (laughs) Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this day of Together for Scotland. It's really not how many churches we can partner together to plant, though we pray there will be many, but rather, Lord, the kind of church that we establish. Thank you for this model of the early church. They impacted their communities. Everyone knew about them. We look for the day when we shall so establish communities that if those communities were not there, everybody would notice and they would miss. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that these six areas that we've looked at this morning might be the kind of areas that we totally embrace and say, Lord, even here today in our churches, as we look at them, are they all there? Are they all in place? But surely, Lord, we want to plant churches where these things are happening. And it can be the same today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And just so to help you, in case you think I might forget those kind of six things, Tonight, in our prayer celebration, um, one of the things I'm going to do is just lead us in prayer through those six issues. 
so that we can pray into them, so you don't need to worry that you've forgotten about them. We'll come back uh, briefly tonight and go through them one by one, cry out to God that we as churches will be like this and the churches will plant be like that. Okay, five to seven minute loo break.